and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We're an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working-class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. We really appreciate you making Renegade Paradise part of your podcast rotation. If you like what you hear on this episode, please take a moment to leave a comment or rating on the platform of your choice. You can also find Charleston DSA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and on our website at charlestondsa.org. Thanks for listening. I'm CJ Bones, and tonight we're going to be talking about the recent Black Lives Matter protests that happened in Marion Square downtown. We'll be speaking with folks who were there to give us a boots-on-the-ground report, and then broaden the discussion to tackle a variety of related topics. On Saturday, August 29th, the local Black Lives Matter chapter held a protest and vigil in honor of Kenosha, Wisconsin citizen Jacob Blake. Charleston Black Lives Matter protesters demanded the following at the vigil. Arrest and charge former officer Rustin Shesky with attempted murder with a deadly weapon. A statewide mandatory independent racial bias audit of police departments. Demilitarization of all police departments in South Carolina. Immediate passage of hate crime legislation and repeal of the Heritage Act. The firing of North Charleston police officer Melvin Wallace and immediately arresting and charging him for his brutal assault on Iona Sass. North Charleston ensuring the independence of its upcoming audit and requiring that CNA follow up on the audit to retain transparency and independence. Reject the Gadsden Green Police substation plan in favor of creating an education center instead. Reallocation of funds from Charleston County's police departments into programs that support low-income communities. Prioritize funding underfunded public schools. Revision of statewide U.S. history and English curriculum to diversify that curriculum. Ensure an adequate amount of parent advocates available at all public schools. A sustainable long-term plan to prioritize African-American-owned businesses. Support for the Phillips Community's plan to redirect traffic and reject the widening of Highway 41. To call on Charleston County to support the local housing trust fund tax. So that's a lot on the agenda for the local Black Lives Matter chapter. Many of the demands directly target the material roots of white supremacy here in Charleston, as well as elsewhere in South Carolina. However, even in the wake of the toppling of the John C. Calhoun statue, this town has yet to come to terms with its violent, racist past. We see it manifest in a couple of different ways in this town. The motley crew of about half a dozen or so neo-Confederates that lurk around the battery every Saturday and Sunday morning pitting out their wool frocks comes to mind. And while it's fun to have a good laugh at the absurdity of these grown men who apparently have nothing better to do on the weekend than yell at tourists, there are other ways this mindset shows up. 
One doesn't have to think too far back to remember the uprising that began on May 31st. Since then, riot cops have started showing up a lot more often to harass protesters. Equipped with body armor, two-handed batons, and a wide variety of less lethal weapons at their disposal, they most recently appeared at the August 29th protest to intimidate, harass, and then eventually kettle and attack the protesters there. We also see this mindset of white supremacy at work here too when neo-confederates provoke confrontations and ignore city mask ordinances. But the moment black folks in Charleston start exercising their First Amendment rights, you can bet that the cops aren't far behind, ready to bust heads with impunity. Compare the vicious response to a peaceful protest of under 100 people armed with signs and one trombone with the police response to local white supremacists who are known to be armed with concealed handguns. These same white supremacists have held the battery hostage every weekend for about five years now. That's longer than the entirety of the American Civil War. So it's clear here that there are two sets of rules in place. One set of rules coddles the neo-Confederates, and the other set is designed to intimidate and provide the legal framework for swift, violent retribution whenever black folks dare to point out the contradictions of capitalism in a public setting. We're going to be talking about all that tonight with Marcus of the local Black Lives Matter chapter. And we're also going to be talking with local DSA comrades Taylor and Bailey, who were present during the protest and attempted march to the battery. Only through understanding how police work to defend white supremacist hegemony and not actually protect human lives can we hope to topple it. Hopefully, this discussion will shed a little light on that topic for you. I want to turn over the mic to Marcus now. If you'd like to know more about how to support the local Black Lives Matter chapter, we're going to be dropping that information into the episode description. I'm CJ Bones, and this is Renegade Paradise. Um, my name is Bailey, and I am also a new member of the local DSA chapter here and a um, co-conspirator with uh, BLM Charleston. Uh, I'm Taylor. I am somewhat older member of DSA. I've been around for a few years. I'm chair of our eco-socialist working group and uh, was grateful to have been able to get out um, to some of the actions with BLM this past weekend. Oh, and my name is Marcus. I'm the director of Black Lives Matter Charleston, the independent chapter and um, yeah, I'm just excited to be here to talk and um, just give people some more information. We're excited to have you. All right, guys. Um, so first of all, um, before we get to any, uh, you know, hard, hard hitting questions, I just want to ask uh, y'all how you're doing. Um, it was um, pretty hectic last weekend. Uh, everybody doing okay? Everybody you know, taking care of themselves, checking in with your, with your friends and comrades, drinking plenty of water, I hope. I'm doing great on the water, um, for the past. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still a little, um, uh, nice. I think my water breaks, take social media breaks sometimes, um, loose out a little bit, um, had a, like, like you said, Definitely a turbulent week, um, you know, coming from Saturday. So, definitely 
just been enjoying hard things, enjoying speeding out. Yeah, but living good though. All right. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that everybody's doing well. Um, I'm glad that y'all are uh, safe and healthy. And uh, uh, let's go ahead and dive right into the uh, questions. Organizing for this protest seemed to happen pretty fast. Talk to us a little bit about what uh, the local Black Lives Matter chapter was feeling in the 24 hours or so leading up to the event. Um, it was tense. I mean, it was, we were also, we're all reflecting over the Jacob Blake killing and just as far as like, you know, where we come since the George Floyd protest and um, what has been done, what hasn't been done, what we, you know, what can we kind of reflect on this um, and do? And then that's kind of what we're like, you know, 24 hours, like, I mean, we have to come different with it in ways like, you know, things we learned because we Definitely learned a lot of stuff with the George Floyd protests as far as like not only protesting, but, you know, creating demands and, um, you know, at least reaching out um, to make sure that, you know, those demands are heard. Um, so, yeah, just like to put it all in one, one encompassing one thought, definitely very tense, definitely very just like reflective, um, especially this go around. There's a lot, a lot of reflection and a lot of um, just, you know, thinking forward and thinking, you know, thinking strategically. Okay. And uh, Taylor, Bailey, um, talk to us a little bit about your process walking into it. Like, what were you feeling on, uh, you know, that, that first 24 hours leading up? Um, I'll sh share that, uh, honestly, you know, I kind of came into starting to engage around trying to get folks out fairly late in the game. Um, so that 24 hours out was pretty much, you know, my main, the entirety of my planning and trying to get there and get a few comrades out as well. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's definitely on me for not kind of being more plugged in and finding out sooner. Um, but understandably also like, you know, that's kind of the nature of how uh, actions like this kind of have to be planned. Um, so I, I was feeling pretty fired up and wanting to get folks out. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really know exactly too much about what to expect or what had been going on on the ground with the folks actually uh, organizing it. Um, but I was pretty excited and hopeful that we could try and um, start to get some big numbers out with, kind of our ballooning membership in DSA lately. Yeah, it's kind of like there were a bunch of different challenges. Not only was it, you know, challenging to work through, you know, the, the lightning quick response of the protest, but also there's a calculated risk that comes into the events like this when it comes to like police response, when it comes to like adequately protecting yourself in the middle of a global pandemic. There are a lot of variables i would say uh i would imagine rather um that go into it yeah and even like um just like mentally getting ready for it um i guess because at least um i'm sure there are some people who are still a little disillusioned to what um the police 
responsible be um, to these types of movements. Um, but I guess as um, things have progressed, yeah, it's it's been very um, uneasy, but necessary to show up. I just wish, honestly, there was more people who showed up. More yeah. than anything, I was just kind of like, hoping that more people would show up and um be present and you know it is south carolina so yeah that you know, what you can get from there i guess but yeah yeah it's it's challenging because you know south carolina is kind of placed at this unique uh, crossroads between a uh you know a rich history of uh, black activism uh, and and these sort of luminaries of the civil rights movement, but also there is a very real pushback combined with a lack of, at least, you know, in the past several years, a lack of consistent organizing culture here in Charleston. So yeah, a lot of factors, you know, go into these decisions. Um, and speaking of, decisions. Uh, this is another one for you, Marcus. I think this is going to be a little bit more like high level type question. So one thing I thought personally that was really cool was the uh, local Black Lives Matter chapter uh, put together a really thoughtful, really comprehensive list of demands uh, before the event. Uh, and you posted it up all over social media. So in what ways will meeting some of these demands empower uh, the black working class specifically here in Charleston. And, and if you have like some specific examples, that would be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. I'll get into it. Um, one of the main ones and the ones that I think is most feasible um, that people can actually vote for and make active change in. And that's something that I feel like, at least adding as far as like demands go, um, I feel like that's something that people like feel, they get that hopelessness in them that, oh, like, I'm demanding these things from protests, but you know, what are the feasible things? And then one of the big ones is the Land Trust Act. Um, pretty much it's the Local Housing Trust Fund Act. Is that Trust Fund Tax is actually the full name of it, but it's a bill that's actually on the ballot um, this voting season. So I, I definitely was letting people know about that. That will help working class because it gives developers um, an incentive to build affordable housing um, because if not, they usually don't because they make less money and they'd rather build like you no know, condominium or whatever. So yeah. um, that was just one of the demands I at least thought, you know, we should put at the forefront on the economic justice side. Um, and as far as like the demands in general, I'm gonna do a deep dive in a second, but we figured it'd be really good to just like put it all together as far as criminal justice and education, economics, those are our main tenants. So um, bringing those together to rally rally on, um, rally people together just to like understand it's a holistic issue um, as far as like systematic racism goes. Um, but yeah, so getting back to the working class though, um, another thing that we said was um, we demanded the Charles County develop a sustainable long-term plan to prioritize African-American-owned businesses for the year 2021 and onwards. Um, we thought that was huge because a lot of times they like, to pander on the African American community, like just, you know, try to throw money or like, you know, not really know what's going on. But I mean, 
especially black entrepreneurship is such a huge part of our community. And um, as far as like the working class, it just like, you know, it, it makes the black dollar evolve. And, um, you know, um, it just, it's just good for the communities to have like black owned businesses versus like a Starbucks or a big chain. Um, yeah. So that's something that helps the working class. Um, another thing obviously is on the education side, some of the um, learning pods that we mentioned, um, we're doing an internet cafe on the east side Then we demanded that they, you know, put some funding in making um, like, you know, local learning pods people can go to. And I was even at the east side earlier and um, they have the funds to do this. I mean, South Carolina, um went like they have like 775 million dollars in surplus state government funds so it's like we had some of the worst education systems in the country so yeah it's something you need to prioritize as far as like having learning pods and if people don't know if people don't know what i mean by learning pods it's pretty much right now a very new thing where suburban moms are throwing money and pay you know somebody a teacher's salary it could be an old teacher a new teacher whatever but they pay them a teacher's salary to teach their kids on an individualized basis. So it's kind of like a, a tutor, but it's like, it'll be a group of six and it'll be like individualized learning. And they've been doing it over the summer. And even when the COVID hit, you know, back in spring, just like giving that individualized learning. And that's what we want to do and offer for, you know, everybody and including the working class people. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, those are some, just a couple of the demands. Some things that were left off, but we do think it's important and I will mention. As far as workforce housing um, on Moore Island, it's a new development that a lot of people aren't talking about, but um, it's a development that is going to be built on top of landfill. And it's like, I don't know how they're going to design it, but on top of everything, we really have to fight tooth and nail to get workforce housing and make sure there's ample workforce housing and affordable housing there. Um, because, I mean, if we didn't force them, they would never, it would just be like, you know, the rest of the Mount Pleasant, just like, you know, suburban, you know, not even suburban, but like, it would be like a pretty much, not even suburbs, more like, it's like, you know, rich white people, middle-class white people, and not any, you know, diversity involved. So we at least wanted to not only have workforce housing, but also prioritize black owned businesses there. And I've actually been talking to the developer there at this big movie theater they're trying to make, and we want to see if we can get um, some black owned um, cinematic people out there, but that's one other thing. But those are just a couple of the demands we had, um, you know, and I can go into the criminal justice stuff. We can go on that later, but those are just a couple of the ones I feel like will directly help, you know, working class folks, especially black folks. Yeah. And, um, you know, Charleston being a very popular tourist town right now, you know, winning awards after awards after awards, you know, who built that, you know, the black working class is who built that, and it's it's high time that uh, the people that run this town, uh, you know, uh, put money into the hands of the people that built these things can definitely see like how some of these demands strike at the heart of of, you know, this this white supremacist attitude here in, in Charleston that's kind of papered over but with this thin veneer of. Uh, you know, progressivism. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's about time for them to pay up. I mean, you know, like like you're saying, this is like one of the ma- one of the major. I mean, we built the city. We were one of the major, like, you know, places where um, African American slave folks came through. So um, it's definitely something that's been long long overdue. Um, we're tired of apologies. Slavery apology didn't really face me that much. What I'm more excited about 
is the Racial Reconciliation Board. Um, I don't know if that was is going to be part of the next questions about. Like, that's just something that um, I'm excited for. I'm not too, too optimistic because they, they don't even have a, a budget yet. There's still a lot of things that, are, that I find, you know, a couple of different issues with. But they're at least, you know, tackling the problem of, like, we had the apology. All right, now what are we going to do to, like, you know, resolve some of these issues? So um, that's something, you know, for all the listeners out there, at least go check that board out um, because they're doing a lot of good stuff. Um, and, yeah, I think at least, at least you know, check out what they're doing and see if, you know, you can support some of the efforts. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll put a link to uh, some information about the Reconciliation Board uh, in the show notes. We'll also link to – um, the, uh, local housing trust fund tax as well. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll have a little brainstorming session after recording here and, and make sure that we get all of these, these important links and resources, uh, because one way that we, the people can exercise power is, is holding our elected officials accountable. And, uh, you know, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't act, uh, if we don't uh, agitate for these material gains, right? Like apologies are one thing, uh, but you got to put money behind it. You got to put opportunity behind it. Otherwise it's just empty yeah. words. And I'm not, I'm not down with that liberal bullshit. Um, walk the walk. Don't talk the talk. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah, right. I've, I've been liking, there's been some companies that will like say they have been walking the walk. But it is few and far between. Like I know Netflix, um, just is one one you know company. They I think they donated, I think like a hundred million uh, or some some number to black owned banks. I thought that was cool. Um, but just stuff like that, like that's kind of where you know it shows like uh, you know if you really care about you know what's going on. And they already have all this money. And I mean I, I know there's a couple movements online um, that y'all probably maybe done scene but um about like banks and like large corporations being the ones to pay reparations because they had programs that already like you know that they still to this day like benefited from slavery like and i think uh, was it it might have been bank of america but yeah they had like slave bonds or like you know like financial financial instruments built off of slavery so it's like and i learned a little bit about this in my finance class but it's wild that you know i mean you know things are coming to light and even like don't want to get too big of a tangent on it, but like um, the CEOs of like, I think there's a meeting, I think it was like two years ago, but there's the CEOs of like the top five banks and they're like, um, do you think, like, are you an African-American or, or are you a person of color or a female? And they're like, no. And it was like, do you think your successor will be? And like, I think more than half of them said no. And like, and they were like, is that successor successor? And most of them said no too. So I was like, I mean, you think about, who's at the top of these organizations no matter how much they tout you know diversity or whatever like you know the inclusivity isn't there in the executive staffs and you can see that even in the police force i mean the special forces is a lot of times just mostly white folks in these upper level positions so um i do want to stress that like just having diversity on the lower level is not enough um you need to have people at the upper ends who are actually running stuff to you know be be inclusive in that aspect as well, but that's my whole spiel on that. Yeah, so much of it comes down to who controls the land and capital at the end of the day. Another yeah. one of the demands I want to lift up, 
um, out of the 12 demands is regarding the Phillips community in Mount Pleasant. I really appreciated that that was in there having grown up in Mount Pleasant and lived pretty close to there and followed that issue for a while. I wrote to the town council about that this morning too. Um, but, you know, it's just a good example of kind of the last large, you know, just the town taking this kind of white supremacist, but like a banal form of white supremacism that really just like kind of dominates the community in ways that nobody really notices anymore, um, unless it's, you know, loudly highlighted through direct action and things like that. Um, but for folks that aren't familiar with the issue, um, you know, there's a highway, Highway 41 that goes through part of Mount Pleasant and along that route, uh, there's one, the last really large historic uh, black community in Mount Pleasant, which is now predominantly white uh, through decades of gentrification at this point. Um, and the town after kind of waffling on making a decision for a long time has now green lighted um, a massive expansion of this highway that's going to bulldoze part of the community. Um, and it's just very blatant uh, you know, racist gentrification that, you know, we have to address like locality by locality while continuing to look at like the bigger system, but kind of taking away the last hold of land ownership, um, is sort of, they see that as, you know, accurately the best way to take away a lot of the community's power. So trying to stop that is absolutely one of the best ways we can try to empower the black working class locally from what I see on the ground with, you know, my limited experience. Yeah, and I will chime in too, like, as far as like, you know, the white supremacy not always being like somebody in the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, they like the Phillips community maybe like six months ago came out with a plan that was like, um, what was it? It was a plan that would like, instead of like widening the highway 41, they built a loop around, um, the main highway and, um, it, they wanted to go through Boone Hall because Boone Hall has like a smaller road on the side, off to the side. And they want to like maybe widen that to like two lanes and then, the county shut them down and they don't even let them present that idea anymore. So, I mean, the fact that they're willing to, you know, widen the highway through a black neighborhood or historically black settlement that was given to freedmen, but they don't want to go through a plantation. It's pretty much a, the, you know, same thing as a, um, a, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking, but it's, it's a terrific, you know, terrific, like, it's a place that, you know, brings a lot of bad memories to black folks as far as like we were terrorized there, raped, taken away from our family. I know even personally, like Boone Hall, my my grandma or my great 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 grandma uh was there and then she was raped by somebody there and then they had to move her to Gadsden. Um and then that's where my that's why I've always thought that where my family started was in Gadsden. But um they actually, you know, she, that's where she got her lights from. Like they like she she got pregnant by a white man and then they sent her off to Gatson and then that's where, you know, my dad's family starts off in Gatson and I don't know, just like um it did the fact that they would like, you know, they're they they take they heed the fact that Boone Hall doesn't want that, but they don't really 
give a crap about, you know, the Phillips community. It's like that white supremacist is not always in the hood. It's in, you know, legislation and it's in, you know, their decisions. So some food for thought. Yeah. And yeah, that's awful. And I mean, you know, the same folks will only conveniently remember kind of whatever they want to remember and kind of deny that's not ancient history. You know, that's people's very close, like, you know, family ties. Um, and I mean, also, like, not only Boone Hall being in there, but the symbolism of what is this widening for? A bunch of those neighborhoods down there that are the new, largely white developments are, like, not necessarily tied to any actual historic plantation, but about half of them got plantation in their name because they figured that's a good way to market to these kind of upper middle class white communities. Yeah. yeah. I um, actually work um, in a field that I won't directly identify right now, but um, in a field where basically I interact with um, a lot of people who live in these new communities um, and just having to drive to meet them or um, interact with them or anything like that. Um, they're very, um, they're very clear with their desire to this as their community. No, no one else's. Um, and I think the town follows up um, with that as well, with their um, general dismissal um, of um, the people who have been living there for generations. Um, and who know the area, who have been there forever. Um, it Again, going back to what y'all were just saying, the white supremacy of it all, um, being selective on what you remember about the area, um, being very clearly on the side of the gentrifiers and um, the people who would rather just the community, please go away, find somewhere else to live so we can have this, this good property tax coming in for us. Um, it's almost like you see how it works on a micro level when it comes to person to person um, interactions. It also happens like at a smaller level with these communities that are so in, uh, so, that are so exclusive. Um, and, you know, then you have the, the town council following suit. And it really goes to show you that white supremacy is just has its tentacles in every facet of American life. Uh, you know, no matter what level uh, you're talking about. And I think that the collective goal of the left must be to challenge that. In, in every way possible and do a good job of describing and demonstrating those links between white supremacy and so many like, you know, things about American culture that we take for granted. You know, the fact that highways get built through uh, historic black neighborhoods, the fact that we even have a society that is so dependent on, automobile transit and you know in cities like charleston you don't have pedestrian friendly accessible like mass transit system that everybody can act that that everybody can get on um that would be another episode i'd like to do honestly but uh any any further thoughts on question two 
Um, yeah, now as far as the demands, those are our, like, you know, my, our top ones. Um, we also bring, like, local issues of Ayanna Sass, who was um, violently, violently beat up in front of her kid um, um, while she was working on a bus, and that was in North Charleston. So we're calling for the cops, um, or for the cop who, who did that to be arrested. But um, another thing, just to, like, tie it all together, um, we – and something that I, I at least wanted to um, – tie in together as far as like um I went even when we're at the protest is that you know a lot of these things seem far away like in, in regards to the Kenosha things a lot of these, th these things seem far away but like I mean the assault on a guy but he still lived it happened eye on his ass it still you know wasn't with a gun but it's still deadly assault I mean the thing that you know domestic terrorists I mean we've had our own white you know domestic terrorists in, in Dylan Roof with the Manual 9 so um, that's just something that I, I've always tried to tie in and um, just make sure, like, you know, these things hit close home. Even though they didn't happen, you know, this week or yesterday, um, they still affect us. And, you know, it is something we have to ratify, you know, while we have the chance and while we have the voice, you know, um, just make sure we're on top of it. So that's why I also included the hate crime legislation in there as well. Because, I mean, it's, it's South Carolina, for crap's sake. I mean... We are the home of the Confederacy. I mean, if any state needs it, we need it the most. I mean, I think we're one of the last states to do it. And it's just like, it's pretty ridiculous. I went to the there's state meeting recently that I went to. And I mean, it looks like it's going to get passed. I mean, that's exciting. But um, just putting pressure on them is like a huge thing. Um, so still waiting here to get feedback on that. But um, definitely thought that was an important thing to raise. It is an important thing to raise. Um, and uh, according to, I'm, I'm pulling up the article right now, according to Newsweek, there are only four states that do not have uh, hate crime laws on the books. Those are Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina, and Wyoming. Um, so as you can see, you know, predominantly, uh, you know, here in the Southeast, um, Wyoming being kind of a uh, odd duck out there wild to me that we don't have hate crime legislation that was news to me I guess um as of um you know late in the uh, most recent uprisings and stuff um I was I did not know personally that we had not had any hate crime legislation like that was a wild fact for me to learn it's pretty wild that's for sure yeah you know another wild one I was just going to run the facts, want to bring it up. So also ties into our demands. But um, there's out of there's 300 police departments in South Carolina. And out of those, I guess it, it might be more interesting if I let y'all guess. Out of 300, how many of y'all guess are, like, have their state certification? You can go around the room. Out of 300. Oh, oh you, you want me to actually answer, and this is yeah, a well, actually, well, guess. Okay. Yeah, well, all right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess. Uh, there's got to be an actual number. Uh, oof, put me on the spot here, Marcus. I'm going to just all go right. ahead and say zero. All right. <laughs> what about you, Taylor? That was a pretty good guess. I was tempted to pick that one, too. Um, <laughs> Should we go like prices rate? Go with like one. Yeah, I'm gonna splice in the prices <laughs> right theme yeah. uh, right around here on the podcast. Spin the wheel. But I'm gonna guess. Yeah, very few, like single digits. Okay. 
I guess I would. I, seven. seven is what I'm going to go with. Okay, y'all are all wrong. It is a lot higher than that, but it's only 23%. So it, 70 of them have it, and they're mostly in metropolitan areas. Um, a lot of the rural places don't have it, but it's 70 out of 300, which is 23%, so less than a quarter of departments have that state certification. And around that much, like, the ones that don't have state certification don't have, like, a code of conduct or, you know, code of procedures. Um, so it's just, like, that's pretty egregious. Like, you know, especially, like, there's a lot of these, like, rural places that need the most, and that's why we added the, uh, in the like, mandatory independent racial bias audit statewide um we think that's important of police departments um because a lot of these small police departments where it's easier to get away with stuff because it's such as like a buddy buddy like you know good old boys network and same thing with and what sparked me to like be really really like you know on front this is because like the mount arby shooting like that was a very small town in georgia and if there wasn't a video, we would have never heard of it. I'm so confident on that. We would have never heard anything about it. And, um, I mean, that's just what sparked me, just because, like, I know, like, like, like I was saying before, like, these small towns, like, so easy to get away with stuff. The racism is thriving. Every time I, like, I don't even like, you know, going off the highway to, like, go to gas station, because, I mean, the Confederate flags are, like, Nazi symbols to me. So I don't really, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel safe. And, if I don't feel safe in that community, like, you know, mind you, like a, a deputy of a gun, you know, I'm not about to trust that either. So um, just pushing that legislation somewhat, you know, I thought it was also an important demand. So I at least wanted to throw yeah. that out there as well. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to have the fun facts. I mean, I, I've been studying a lot of these demands. So um, just, you Marcus, know. Marcus, you're a walking been, encyclopedia, you know, buddy. Come back. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta keep people to woke as woke as possible. Yeah. Um, especially on local issues, because there's a lot of national stuff going on that's important, but you know, local stuff's where you can make a big change. So. That's right. That's we right. We really man. appreciate yeah. what you're doing. So that's question two or three. I feel like that was a, was a, a mouthful, but um, definitely an important thing. I mean, our demands. I took him very seriously. Um, I, like, made sure the people who were there. I didn't get the chance to go through them all because we were kind of, like, you know, um, had some pressure. I saw the police form, and I was like, got to get out of here type stuff. Um, or at least, you know, start some movements. So, um, but, yep, those demands. Yeah, it was it was very comprehensive. Um, yeah, I was, I was impressed with how quickly you all put it together. Um, let's bump ahead, uh, 24 hours, um, to the day of the protest. Talk about some of the events that happened, uh, while y'all were on the ground. Uh, was the feeling pretty spontaneous or was there a set schedule of events, uh, that happened, uh, that were planned based on the, the that release statement of demands? Um, not gonna cap, a lot of it was spontaneous, um, there was like initial plan and route, but um, one thing we, I mean, we did account, we did account for police, you know, presence um, to be, you know, trying to like stop us or whatever. But um, 
I mean, a lot of it, like I said, was spontaneous. We did have people on the outskirts, at least like viewing what the cops would do. So there were people, that, you know, people who weren't, you know, wearing protests stuff. They're just like in their regular clothes, walking around, um, you know, texting me, calling me, making sure, you know, there's, you know, squad car here, like, you know, police officers forming here. So we did have at least people on the outside who so were like checking that. We had a guy um, just driving around, not only checking for police officers, but like, you know, white supremacist looking dudes, anybody looking sketchy. Um, so we kind of had, not to police ourselves, but protect ourselves, um, you know, following up on some of the Black Panther stuff. Just if, you know, the cops aren't going to protect us, we have to protect ourselves. So, so, so um, yeah. yeah, to answer your question, yeah, uh, it was a lot of spon- spontaneity, but it was also um, us, you know, being prepared. And we did have, you know, at least people on the ground looking around. Um, we started out like we usually do. Um, had some like community hour. I spoke. I yelled a little bit. Um, but I mean, just like talk talking to people. We you know let people come up. You know, speak. There's a lot of elders out there who let come up with past addiction, quadjo. Just you know, sharing their information. Like they're a little bit more, you know, calm. They're a little older, so it's like you know they're saying their thing. Why is you know saying like you know real shit? Because they've been. Um, is it cool if I curse? Is, is that? Oh no, curse away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nah. I was say I didn't know if I was on gag order or whatever. But nah. So they're saying some good stuff. But I, I was like coming in like I, I don't know what it hit me that day. But I was like, I was up there like, if you're not here to fucking read the demands, do this. Like you need to get the fuck out of here. Like I was like, I was like wild and like, and I was like, I, I'm glad the older people came because I was like, they need like you know you need the diversity of thought you know in there. But I was that guy in the back like all right, we're going to do this shit. Like, you need to be calling. You need to be calling. Like, if this is the last time you're activists, you can leave right the fuck now. Like, you know what I mean? That's what I felt was missing from a lot of the original protests. There's a lot of, like, emotion and a lot of, I mean, of course, I was emotional, but it's just, like, there wasn't a lot of the action being spoken. So I'm glad this time around we had some time to, like, think on the action, work on the action, talk to the community. And um, right. I, what, what, what I felt like the beginning of the protest was just me talking about what was going on like you know kind of not not like a gospel hour but just like we're here at this moment thinking about jacob blake but we also have to think about you know what's going on how we're going to reflect on our our own community um so that was like kind of the move going as we started in the, in in our little circle like on marion square also just waiting for people to come in because people on bpt you know showing up an hour late whatever um so you know, so it gets to be about like five thirty-six, um, maybe even like yeah, around five thirty, maybe around five thirty-six. Um, we left because I, I like saw like the police form, and I was like, all right, we can either stay here and get like all arrested here because I know it's private property, or we can you know go ahead and make the march on King. So that's what we did. I like told everybody because we did a George Floyd protest. So I was like, all right, you know, I've done this before. Half of us go on this side, half of us go on this side. We were marching on the sidewalk, and this is the part where I blame CPD a lot for the, for even, like, if they didn't do this part, there would have been no arrests because we had been on the sidewalk. But um, what they did is while we're on, we're forming to go forward and, like, march on South King, they had made a formation or a blockade on the sidewalks. So their only way to continue forward was the street. And I mean, as, as y'all know, y'all were there, but we went, we had to hit the streets. And then that's when they said they had the warrant or um, they had the ability to arrest us because we were on the street. 
And, you know, we, we're there we, on the first part of King Street. I think we got two blocks. And then they had a formation at the end, um, like a, you know, blockade or whatnot. Um, they stopped us. Hey, we had to take a right. And then they kept just, like, blocking us in. And I, I, I know there's, this is a question at the end, but as far as, like, kettling, like, they, like, literally, like, had stopped, like, got some people from behind, scattered us because once we get arrested, people were, like, getting scared. So people were, like, dashed off, probably like, lost, like, 30 people in our crowd. Um, once the first few people got arrested, I I was young then. I was like, you know, get the fuck out of my people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have bail funds. I was also, I'm the person who's in charge of a lot of bail fund stuff. So I was like saying like, you know, yeah, what's your name? What's your number? Like, we got you. And, you know, we got your own legal reputation. Just don't resist, whatever. So I was telling people that. And once we got a piece of people arrested, I was like, well, I mean, we still have these people here. So we still have to keep going. So we continue marching. I think we go down Queen Street for a minute. And then that's when they kind of, um, they had the final blockade, the end of it. We get there and we're like, all right, fuck. Like, you know, they had that blockade here. And then, like, by the time we had reached them and hit them, they had one behind us. So we we're essentially surrounded. And then, I guess I'm telling the full story at this point, but um, had us essentially surrounded. Our, like I said, our numbers are split because they arrested people from behind. And I feel like that, like I said, scattered people. But, um, we were there, kettled in, um, squished in between two lines of police people. And when I tell you, they had more police, not only there, but around the city, than, than we had protesters. So it was just like, they really went on overkill just to make sure, like, I don't know, just like as a show of power type stuff. And, I mean, we we were out there, and then, like, like I said, trapped for a minute. I was yelling. I made some all caps of bastard chants and I actually broke it down because I was like you know maybe some people don't understand what it what that actually means so I was like telling them like you know even if you are good cops I I have friends who are cops and I tell them like you're a bastard like these are the systems that you like you know you you uphold racist systems so even if you're not a racist yourself the system itself is racist and then just, you know, speaking of my cop friend, he was DMing me. And it's funny because we used to always get in trouble in high school together. So I never think we'd be a cop. <laughs> Anyways, um, he he was like, man, like all of those um, laws have been, you know, abolished. Like, you know, you know, the law is not racist anymore, whatever. And I was like, you know, and, and he was asking me for like proof. I was like, all right, bet. So I sent him like five links. I was like, the Truth and Sentencing Act, like this, like the war on drugs, like all that. And he was like, oh, like. You might be right. And I was like, yeah, I am right, bro, because I do my fucking research. But anyways, um, so, yeah, that's why I was just kind of telling the cops. I was like, you know, no matter if they really heard me or not, I was like, you know, this is why you're a bastard, because you uphold these systems. And even if you're a black person, like, you uphold systems and, and practically enslave your own people. So you're even more of a bastard in my eyes, even if you're trying to do good from the inside. Um, the real way I could see somebody doing a something for the inside is being like a sheriff and like having an actual control. Cause like you see, even like if you try to go up through the ranks, it's harder. Like there's not that many people in the higher rankings of the police force just in general. And they found that out with the racial bias out of, but that's just something in general that all, so in all police departments, but getting back to the story though, um, ch chanting out some all caps for bastards, played my trombone really loud in some people's ears, just, you know, kind of pissing them off. And then um, I, one of my, um, people on my team would talk to the lieutenant and they're like, we're going to arrest everybody. And I was like, oh shit, well, 
they can't arrest me because I have to bail people out. And if I'm arrested, you know, they don't know exactly, you know, the, the funds won't be, like, I have to be there pretty much. So I was like, shit, what am I going to do now? So what I do is I pass my trombone off to one of my homies or one of the people in my group. And I'm like, yo, hold this tight. Like, I'm going to just, like, scare it off real quick. Um, we had a, a getaway driver close by. So um, anyway, so, yeah, we I, I dipped my left my trombone. Um, I dip off. And apparently, like, after I dip, um, the police – lieutenant or whatever is like all right um well we're not gonna arrest everybody but if you give us marcus we'll let everybody go and then like i was didn't know i wasn't there so i mean he told me i was like yeah marcus is not here and then i guess after that they conceded and I'm like all right we'll let everybody go so everybody left from there safe we ended up getting like seven people arrested who we all bailed out that night and we got legal representation for um but then on the protest the next day i'm not going too deep into it but then that's when they caught me and they had a warrant for my arrest and I was arrested. But that's a whole other story. But other than that, that's kind of how, you know, the skinny denny of the, the protest. And, you know, even if we weren't able to, uh, you know, go as far as we wanted to, like, we wanted to go all the way to the battery, I think. We wanted to go to the battery and all the way back up to Denmark Bessie. I think got maybe 10% of what we wanted to do. But I was like, the good thing about it was that we at least were able to make a stance and be out there and that we weren't, that people, even if we were harmless and were peaceful, people were not harmless. Even though we were peaceful, we weren't harmless because I was getting calls all day about, Marcus, you don't, you don't have a permit. Like, from the people from the police department, like, Chief had called me, Wendy had called me, like, the, the pastor Dixon had called me. It was like, they're worried, da 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 da. Like, um, like, we don't want to be, we don't want anything to be riots, whatever, whatever. And I was like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, we want to be peaceful, but we don't want to be harmless. So as long as there's a threat to peace, or as long as there's a threat of violence, we're not harmless. But there's no, but if we're peaceful and not a, there's no threat of violence, we're harmless. But if we're peaceful and there's a threat of violence, you know, they know what the fuck's up and they know like shit can get buck if it, you know, it gets to that point. Um, so I thought that was something that at least we had them on their toes and they're like, all right, you know, shit could go off. So, um, you know, at least, if, you know, I mean, they did bring a ton of police out, but it was like, at least they, they're aware they were not be fucked with. And that's something that I thought was huge. At least they know, like, oh, let's, we got to check in, make sure everything's okay. Da, da, da. So, I mean, I thought that was cool. At least you had them on the toes. So that's pretty much my spiel on it. But yeah, didn't get to go as far as we wanted, but successful in, you know, the message. Yeah, very sad we didn't get to go. <laughs> As far as we wanted, we had a route and everything planned, but yeah, they're, they were aggressive from the get go. Like the second we, anyone took a step off of Marion square, it was, it was on. And, and I guess Marcus, um, I wanted, I know this is one of the questions bones, but I just don't feel like the um, Charleston County Police Department released a accurate um, statement of what happened at all. Go ahead and speak on it. Yeah. um, I mean, I mean, you know, they they said blatantly in their um, statement that they gave us gave us the opportunity um, to stay on the sidewalk, and I just completely false. Like I was kind of. Yeah, we were were towards maybe the middle kind of, you know, middle front area of um, the march, but we had walked over 
on the opposing side, at least I had, um, from Marion Square to try and cross. And I mean, we immediately were met with resistance. And then there were people standing in the middle of Calhoun, still in the walkway. And, you know, the only option was to walk on the street. And I just, you know, was that very obnoxious to me that they just blatantly lied to the public trying to, I guess, justify their actions, which yeah. I felt from the get-go were aggressive and unnecessary. And I guess maybe, I didn't know, obviously, Marcus, everything that you just discussed about everyone calling you and being like, it's unpermitted. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. Pearl clutching and such like that. But literally the representative called me and was like, oh my god i hope you're safe i was like i'm gonna be fine dog yeah. Just leave me alone. Yeah. but no nah, i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead yeah but yeah just like the general pearl clutching of it all is i think definitely what caused such a um aggressive reaction from them and then um even like from people who were like not there and stuff like that they were saying you know like north charleston pd is on the way downtown mount pleasant is on the way downtown and stuff like that and it's like that it it was completely overblown. I don't think we did. I mean, quite literally, we were all in the beginning just sitting there listening to you and other leaders talk and then to be met with such aggressiveness and then for them to put out such a bullshit statement. I was kind of like. Yeah, no, that shit pissed me off. And it's not only bullshit, but it's also dangerous, too, because, like, it said that we assaulted an officer. And, you know, regardless, I think, what maybe happened was either somebody threw a water bottle or they arrested somebody and somebody was trying to like get the police officer off of them. But they said it, they said that we assaulted an officer and that puts even my life in danger because there's so many like Blue Lives Matter assholes around who are like, oh, I have to protect the fucking police. That guy, Marcus, he's an anarchist. Let me come with an AR and fucking shoot his ass. Not that people want to do that, but it's like, bro, you saw what happened in Kenosha, bro, with the fucking guy with the AR-47. And after that, he had killed people. They're trying to shrine him as the fucking Messiah. And it's like, bro, like, they made that shit acceptable to be, like, you know, like, kill people and in the name of self-defense and protecting businesses and not fucking protecting black lives. It's fucking bullshit. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to get in too much, but yeah, like I was just like, I mean, the statement would not only was false, but it was also very dangerous for us as organizers because there are people like the guy who I'm not going to name, but the white domestic terrorist from Kenosha who will take matters in their own hands. Like, I can't believe you assaulted a cop. Da da da. And like even like the right wing people, not even like the far right, but it like paints us in such a fucking negative ass light. But you know, and I, and I, I even emailed a couple of people. I was like, all right, if y'all gonna post that shit about us with the uh, like with the bullshit, like you're gonna have to post about our back to school events and our internet cafes because they love to post shit about that, but they never talk about our back to school events, or our internet cafes, or anything we, else we have going on. So that's like. That narrative they've been pushing since the 60s at the Black Panther Party, like nobody knows about their free lunch programs that have changed, you know, um, they changed the way we live now just because, like, I, I couldn't imagine going to school without a free lunch, like free breakfast. I, I lived off of those things. And, I mean, they created those programs just by doing them in their own community. 
and the government, you know, recreating that. And I say all that to say that, I mean, the narrative with all black organizations is always like, you know, even if we're like somewhat stern and really want to be out there, it's labeled as terrorists, but these white supremacist organizations are, you know, called good people. And I mean, even the guy who literally murdered people is considered good people. And also like, I mean, even the KKK, bro, the KKK is still an organization. They can get a parade permit and do all this shit. But I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too into it, but it's like the, it sucks like the media portrayal of it. Cause I mean, even like live five news, like, they started covering stuff when we got arrested, but they didn't cover when we were talking in the community. It's like, you know, having a good conversation. So it's like, bullshit like that. I saw them recording the whole time, but they just happened to turn that live on when we were marching. And it's like, that's bullshit. But, you know, that's just, you know, part of it on my guess. So just a, a learning thing to have been having to be on the ass. I was like, all right, you know, you're here now. Like, come here when we're actually doing other shit. So, um, but yeah, that's my whole spiel on that. Yeah, for sure. The cops and all the media coverage are pretty clearly slanted toward mostly just trying to incite racist outrage. Sure. Yeah, nah, I, I was actually geeking because I, I sometimes I look at the comments. I'm always like, bro. I saw bro, you. Oh, no. like, I, mean, cause I, I saw you. I looked at the comments. I not oh. on, on the post and courier. I had time one day. I was like, it was like <laughs> right after I got out. I was like, I got time. I'm going to reply to some of these things. <laughs> and uh, I just like geeking. I was like, well, there's obviously like the all lives matter people. And I was like, saying, yeah, all lives do matter. But the, we're talking about black ones now. Like, they won't matter until black ones do. And just like certain things, like, uh, oh, this one lady, I, bro, it's so funny now. Cause she like, she always reposted that stuff. She reposted our post as soon as I like confronted her about it. But she was like, what is this really going to accomplish? Like, why don't y'all do some educational drives? And why come y'all give it to the community? Y'all should be knocking on doors to the community. And I was like, girl, follow our Instagram. We literally are working with the East Side and Gadsden Green this weekend. Stop being a yeah. cunt and, like, fucking help out. And you know what I mean? Like, she, I, and then as soon as I called her out on, I mean, I didn't say that on Instagram, but we talked about it. I was like, you know, like, we're doing this shit. You can help out or you can just fucking complain. And then she's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. Literally posted our poster on the Internet Cafe. I was like, here you go. Like, da-da-da. I was like, you know, I, I appreciate everything you do. I was like, no. It's not say you appreciate shit. You're literally bad mouthing us on Instagram. So yeah. she took it down or whatever. I was like, you know, like, don't judge. Like, don't judge book by its cover, whatever. Don't listen to what mainstream media says all the time. Um, so that's kind of what I was saying. Just like, um, just like coming at the haters. Like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck about, you know, what most people say at the end of the day. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the communities that I, you know, support. But, you know, kind of just setting records straight was important to me. Just like, or not even important to me, but I just felt like it was good. Just like at least answer a few of the comments. Like, all right, no, like no, no, no. Right? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems like there's a recent uptick in that right wing. What are you doing for the community line? There's that <laughs> Confederate asshole Walter Sunday morning yelling that at the battery. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And no, I remember that was some bullshit. And it's like too, like on another thing, like we all talk about, like. Black on black crime, which is some some other bullshit I'm not gonna get into, but it's like, what are you doing for this? What about people? Get it, get it. Are y'all telling me that the the same guys that will sit on the battery in their little woolen frocks for like six or seven hours a day 
don't do a lot for their communities. Are you kidding me? That is shocking. Yeah, they don't do shit. Literally fucking, except go on Facebook and talk shit. Yeah. They're assholes. But not, I, and this is always a good comeback. I always do anytime I see it online. I love the comment section sometimes because it's always like so many haters. Sometimes it's funny stuff. But I remember one touch, one thing I thought was funny. There was like, all these people don't like they're from here. They look like they're from Chapel Hill. I was like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that's so out of the field. But I guess whatever. But nah, um, one thing that I thought was like, well, as far as like, as far as like, um, like they'd say black on black violence, and I'm like, bro, like we actually have a walk with like just put down the guns with the whaling community, and we do that every. I think the next one's Monday. They had one this past Saturday. But it's like, we do that type of stuff, but what do you do? So it's like, it pisses me off and people are like, why aren't y'all doing this? Why aren't y'all doing that? And especially like, it's like, say like a, a child dies from like gun violence. They're like, where's the outrage? Why aren't people on the streets? Like, why aren't you on the streets, bro? Like you yeah. lead the protest, I'll pull up. Like, I, I think that's terrible that the girl died. But if you want to lead a protest for it, you got it, dog. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and, and then like, even recently, like a black cop died and it's like, uh, well, how come there no protests? Like, bro, we can start a protest. Like, you, you know, you do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, I, 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 it doesn't mean that I don't care about it, but I'm not about to march in the streets for, you know, every murder that happens because, I mean, that's just not, I'm not here for that. And that's one that fucking be too much for the bail fund. Like, get arrested every other weekend. I can't have all that. But, um, but yeah, so that's my whole spiel on that. control so, your they always have some other what about red herring argument to throw at you, so there's no point in trying to like follow all of them. Oh, definitely not. But yeah, not. I mean, it's bad timing for them to be doing the like, what are you doing for the community bullshit when y'all are doing so much. And I, you know, I've been really encouraged to see so many organizations, you know, like taking a lot of inspiration from the Black Panther Party. I think there was a great um, uptick in that after that. Uh, PBS documentary on them like two years ago. Did any of y'all see that? Nah, the new Vanguard. Out. Yeah, that's really great. Um, and that got me into a lot of it. I've got like some of the um, biographies and all after that. But yeah, oh, yeah I mean, I absolutely. I, I think that, you know, socialists take a lot of inspiration as one of the best, um, you know, examples of a great socialist uh, organization in the country and you know obviously it's you know a, a really great example of um how to how to win and make a big difference with the struggle against racism on so many fronts yeah no, i totally agree definitely a good model to follow except well yeah nah, a good model to follow and even in the bad sides and good sides because i don't know the, the the trail end of it, I know it's not a, a discussion about Black Panther Party because we've talked about that for hours. But um, just like a lot of things that they went through as far as like on their decline is something we've been trying to focus on too, just about, about like infighting and like, you know, organizing stuff. And that's something we, you know, take pride in at least like, you know, I'm right now I'm reading the Malcolm X book, um, Malcolm X bio, bio, autobiography. I actually read every right before bed every night. But yeah, um, and I say, say like, you know, we, history repeats itself. So, um, you know, just like learning from our, our forefathers about how to be organized and, you know, not following the same traps, but yeah.
And another person I just want to shout out really quickly because doing the Lord's work, Mika Gadsden is, um, love I her. love her. There you go. And um, just speaking on what like Marcus has been saying about how, um, especially like the media and um, people here locally are, are trying to paint everybody in such a negative light of being like, oh, look, Street, they may destroy your community x y and z i mean mika and um courtney and chris kaylin and one other lady who i'm like blanking on her name but i know her instagram handle is um like can live, can live. Yeah, yeah no i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and i mean they organized a extremely successful campaign um for the people at the joseph banner downtown which I have actually been in before for work and stuff like that. And like, it, it's an area that the city has been neglecting for decades. And these amazing women raised so much money for the <laughs> residents um, to be able to give them um, hand sanitizer, masks, um, uh, you know, just basic necessities and stuff like that during the pandemic and got absolutely no news coverage. Um, I think Courtney was even met with hostility a little bit, like one time that she tried to go and drop off um, things where like um, people who may be connected to some local politics and stuff like that didn't want her doing that because it was not, I guess, um, connected to a organization per se um that they agreed with and um yeah it's, it's always it's amazing to me that um you know the news wants to be there the second that people start hitting the pavement or um, the sidewalks to protest but they don't want to cover all of these other fabulous things um that are happening at the local level um where the government has kind of failed um yeah, so I just like really wanted to give them a shout out because I was really upset that they literally were not written up anywhere for what they did. I think they raised like close to twenty thousand um, dollars for supplies. Wow. Yeah, it was over twenty thousand. Yeah. yeah, and the, the worst thing about it too um, is they gave other people credit. They gave like the government yeah. credit on it. They're like the like we're so excited that you know so and so stepped in and they're finally offering da da da, and we outed them too. We're like, yeah, like y'all know that you know they already been doing this work since like maybe two months ago so it's just like it shows you the rewriting of history in real time um yeah, in real just time. Black yeah so real so definitely shout out mika um she we we definitely didn't see on terms on the same page at all times in, in the beginning but we definitely i like to her as a mentor for sure um in this fight so definitely good good woman, definitely strong, and just, you know, she, she knows what she's talking about. Exactly. Love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just talking earlier about, you know, all these offended white people in comment sections asking, you know, what are you doing for your community? This. This is what you're doing. Um, and uh, it's, it's really up to the critics to decide if they want to, like, argue in good faith and, and believe that stuff and get involved. Um, and you know, that has yet to be seen, I think. So, um, I want to talk about the way, uh, the CP that CPD enforces laws, um, definitely seems like they enforce them unequally and really at their own personal whims. Uh, y'all talked about that a little bit during the protest. Um, you know, people, you know, were brutally tackled in the street for like basically trying to get around, 
uh, police officers like blocking the sidewalk and moved to other parts of the city to where they weren't obstructing people from what I, from what I understand, uh, based on your, your, uh, report here. Um, uh, but you know, we don't see this sort of, of over the top, like rows and rows of riot police, uh, fully kitted out when, uh, you know, half a dozen, uh, neo-Confederates show up at the battery and start screaming at tourists. Um, so is there any other examples, uh, that you guys can share, uh, how police don't enforce laws, uh, when it comes to these sorts of protests on the ground very well. Uh, Taylor, I think you and I were talking in the discord, uh, this week about, uh, like how mask ordinances are not fairly, um, enforced when it comes to like neo-Confederate, uh, uh, vigils on the battery. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, that definitely pissed me off a lot on Sunday down at the battery protest. After, right after actually they arrested you, Marcus, um, I kind of went over to figure out what exactly the cops were saying and try and push back on it somewhat and got a little heated kind of yelling, pushing back when they started bullshitting me, kind of refusing to say much and you know, the one thing, and I wasn't the first one to question them on this. People had kind of been going over a little bit here and there all day asking, well, why aren't y'all enforcing the mask ordinance on the Confederates across the street um, who have been there waving Confederate flags at this um, Confederate monument ever since the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in 2015? By the been going on longer group. than the actual Confederacy but, now, by the way. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, I think they all know, they're all deep enough in it to know that it's not about like the heritage of some like, you know, four-year uh, phenomenon in history. It's about enforcing white supremacy today. That's what the statue was about when it went up in, you know, I don't know, I don't remember, the 30s, I think, 1930s, well after the Civil War, when, you know, they're trying to advance the growth of the second Ku Klux Klan and um, Jim Crow is the new codified white supremacy system. But anyway, yeah, these, these folks are out there obviously breaking the city law. There's a mask ordinance that the city just put out a warning in the past week saying that they're going to start um, citing and arresting people without warning now. Um, but, you know, coming in the next morning after violently tackling anyone that dared to step into a street that they were already blocking um, to speak up against racist, violent policing, you know, they're going to stand there and refuse the whole time to enforce things against this group that is led by self-declared Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, that's real. Braxton Spivey posted on his own shit. I saw on Facebook in a Confederate gray uniform. It said Grand Wizard. So, I mean, that's for real. You know, we're not just talking in slogans. Cops and Klan go hand in hand. Like, it's an actual Klan out there. Um, and the cops are obviously giving them preferential treatment and turning uh, a blatantly blind eye while simultaneously targeting uh, black organizers and accomplices uh, for things that, you know, 
we're kind of being entrapped on like with the whole sidewalk discussion from the protest Saturday. They're kind of forcing some false criminality to target organizers of this movement while obviously favoring these literal Klansmen that are down there terrorizing folks every weekend. Yeah. And I, I did want to like, uh, you know, draw a little bit more attention, Taylor, to what you just said. Um, so the uh, Confederate Defenders of Charleston statue was uh, erected in 1932. That's almost 70 years after the end of the Civil War. Pretty much nobody that fought in the Civil War was alive by the time that this uh, marker went up. So, yeah, y'all are absolutely right. It's it's not about, you know, it's not about heritage. It's, it's about uh, ensuring that unchallenged white hegemony is the rule, is the law of the land here in Charleston. And the police are accomplices in enforcing this. And the state legislators that defend things like the Heritage Act, which Marcus, you were talking about earlier, I think, um, are, are also complicit in this. So whenever somebody tries to tell you that, like, you know, these statues are, are all about the history and, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to remind them, these things haven't even been around for 100 years. I mean, the Calhoun statue wasn't even, like, erected when he was alive. Like, they did it afterwards just to be like, don't you forget, Black people. Yeah, and it was vandalized constantly until they put that thing up, like, hundreds of feet in the air. Wow. Yeah. Everyone knew what they were. Yeah. Now, funny story, my granddad, actually, he was involved in a Calhoun protest back when he was a kid. So, like, when he saw, like, videos of me, like, um, playing my trombone stuff, I was like, yeah, like, I played trumpet. Like, I was in the protest, too. So I was like, it's funny how long that thing's been up and people have felt the same way about it. Yeah, I man. It's a family affair. That's the kind yeah. of heritage I can get behind. You're damn right. <laughs> he just wanted to pick me up from jail. He was like, not even mad. He was like, I'll fuck with you, dog. Yeah. So, um, but he was moved smart, but he was like, you know, like, you got to do what you got to do. Like, you all had to do that. Especially back in the day that actually like, hose you down and shit. So, like, put the dogs on you. Like, it's a little bit different. Police brutality is a lot less, like, hush, hush. It's like, we don't give a fuck. We're actually going to brutalize you. Um, but um, I say I would say that, like, I think we're talking initially about how they treat, you know, the law is different. I mean, even if you look at Kenosha with um, the, you know, the guy with the AR-47, it's like AR-47, AR-15, whatever he had. Um, just, like, he had an actual gun assault rifle in his hands and ran towards police. Versus a black man who had was suspected of, I think he had, maybe had a knife in the car, but um, just like that whole aspect of, you know, just being being a black male in America, you're automatically like considered to be a weapon or considered to be violent versus a white man. Like they, even after the shooting, like they would post, posted pictures of him, um, of him like painting like a wall or something, like repainting a wall. It was like, Bro, literally, I mean, I remember even that, uh, there's some circling on Instagram where it's like uh, when Trayvon Martin died, they're like, they're like traces of marijuana in the system. It's like, bro, what the fuck? What does that have to do with him being killed by a fucking like yeah. racist ass Zimmerman? Like, I, that shit pissed me off so much. I was like, that didn't have shit to do with it. Every time that they, you know, somebody gets killed, they like to go back in their history. They did it with um, Jacob Blake with his history and like, you know, so many people are going in on him being like, 
just like about his history and stuff. It's like, bro, every time they like try to defame the black male in the situation, it's like, what about this person? Like, are we gonna march for the person that he did this to five years ago? Da, da, da. It's like, bro, like you're missing the whole point. Like, some, no matter what he did, he did not deserve to get shot seven times in the back. Like, that's not a proper judgment for anything, you know? So, um, exactly. like, we have a court system for a reason. And um, that's another thing I at least want to touch on a little bit as far as, like, sentencing reform. Um, that's something that's huge for me, especially. Um, I think we had a, a Truth and Sentencing Act, didn't make the cut for the demands. But um, as far as just, like, that's something we're pushing really hard as far as repealing the Truth and Sentencing Act and um, making sure that, the sentencing is equitable. We've been working with CJCC on that as well, as far as sentencing. But I mean, it's so bad. Just like the the fact that a lot of these issues, um, as far as like ju judicially, like they don't get treated the same. Um, you know, it's literally black, black and white is what it literally is. I mean, like that's how it is. And I mean, just figuring out ways we can advance the system. And the system's already fucked. But you know, what ways we can do to like you know, prevent another kid from, like, losing their entire life. and Because once you get in the system, you're in the system. And, you know, that that starts even in school, with school-to-prison pipeline and um, getting resource officers out of school and at least, like, you know, limiting the amount that they're there because, like, you really do criminalize black students from the beginning. And I've seen it firsthand, you know, like, my friend, we used to skip class and get expelled. And then you're not in school all day. You're like, all right, well, you know, there's just you, – you get in that mindset – um, of being already, you know, being criminalized. So that's my whole spiel on that. But I mean, as far as just the way they're treating us, I mean, it's, they want to have this side of being progressive and, you know, doing all this stuff. But when it comes to actually doing stuff, they don't really do it. They, don't, they like, the, like we said before, talk, talk now, walk. And we definitely, this time, we're going to hold them super accountable because actually, you know, I'll back up a little bit as far as like, um, talking to the police like I used to have a really good relationship with Wendy super good relationship with Reynolds and then not super good you know I, at least you know talk to him every now and again and then it kind of fell out because I mean with the the substation and increased police force it just be like it just felt like every time we kept giving them chances they keep bullshitting us it's like y'all really assholes for no reason so that's why all cops are bastards um but and then on top of this too like uh this was actually kind of funny but not really because it's shitty. But we had talked to Sheriff Al Cannon. Um, cause I, and I, I usually don't try to set up calls to these folks. But if somebody asked me, I'll be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to them. Anyways, so Quadro, who spoke at the meeting, was like, you know, like, hey, like, um, you know, Al Cannon wants to speak with us. And da -da -da. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll talk to him. And um, he was he, – he had said something to piss me off. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But he said something like I was talking about – you know, the black experience and about how it's hard to be here in America and, you know, get through all the, you know, systematic changes. And he was like, man, mind you, Al was born in 46. Um, and he has a, uh, an assault charge on, like, while he's a police officer. That's no here, no there. Y'all can look that up. But um, that's 2013. Um, but anyways, and I didn't even get to call him out on that. I really wanted him to, wanted to there. But he was like, um, oh, yeah, I totally get you, like, my grandparents are still workers. Da, da, da. I was like, nigga, you don't understand shit, boy. You were born in the 46th. Your grandparents 
and my like your grandparents were born like while my grandparents were still slaves probably like you know what i mean like that's you're born in the 40s bro like you know what i mean like you don't understand shit so i had to cause that stuff but um fast forward he was like because he, he was saying too like he he was like um damn where is i going with this oh yeah he was like i like I, I welcome y'all to come to our jail. It's so nice, like so clean in there. And fast forward, like five days later, I got a full fucking tour, but I was in fucking handcuffs and a fucking jumpsuit. And I was like, bro, like if they like, and warrants especially are up to discretion. So I know for a fact that it was on Reynolds' desk, it was on you know the sheriff's desk. I didn't do shit except be like, all right, fuck it, let's put the student jail and make them a fucking example. So that's just one. That's my spiel as far as like the black and white of, you know, the sentencing and also just the arrest with the protests. I mean, those fucking guys without masks should definitely be fucking put in jail. And white supremacist groups should just not exist because, like, those are the violent ones. People like to exit those out of the conversation, but they also burn buildings. They also bomb churches. And, you know, they also fucking lit fucking black folks on fire. Like, they're the reason why a lot of people are... Um, and I, I said this out candid, too. I was like, the reason, like, you don't see see a lot of ambitious, you know, black folks as like, you know, you see a lot of ambitious black folks, but there's always a fear because ambitious black folks historically always got lynched. And I told him this, you know, analogy that I was saying, I was like, um, that like the glass ceiling back in the forties and fifties at the top of the glass ceiling was a fucking noose. So even if you got past the glass ceiling, you had that noose right there for you. You had a fucking mob outside your house. Cause I mean, I know there's even this one story about a guy who was a mailman, and they're like, oh, I can't believe this nigger wants to be a fucking mailman. Let's fucking lynch him. And then, you know, that was like, that was our glass ceiling. Like, if you got too uppity, and uppity was a word they used, you know, for, you know, black folks who thought they were successful, it's just like, they lynched them. So, like, that's, I'd say, all right, say, Alcannon, you don't fucking get where I'm coming from. And um, that's kind of just like, the, that's a lot of the way the history of the black and white from the sentencing goes like they don't want to be out of line because like the laws historically have never protected us i mean even if you look at emmett till like his murderers were acquitted or like you know they found not not guilty and the dude maybe like five four or five months later admitted to doing the fucking thing and murdering the, you know the kid and i mean because of double jeopardy he wasn't you know arrested but it's like you fucking murdered a fucking 13-year-old kid, you know, like, viciously, and you got away with it. So just, like, that's why you see a lot of mistrust when it comes to the criminal justice system and on black folks. Because, I mean, Emmett Till, it seems like that's a story you say, oh, that was such a long time ago. But Emmett Till was born on the same year that Joe Biden was born. So just, like, that kind of puts it in perspective. Like, it's not that, you know, a long time ago. So yeah. I know that was a long feel, but that's kind of – those are my thoughts on it no yeah spiel away (laughs) lots of good conversations tonight lots of lots of powerful um you know heavy things to talk about and and i also kind of wanted to like you know uh, boost boost some of the things you were talking about too marcus um white supremacists want to you know always clutch their pearls when it comes to destructive capacity uh, of uh, that they foresee, you know, Black Lives Matter protests having and like, you know, these sort of mass uprisings happening across the country, you know, but you don't have to look that far back into American history 
to find, you know, where dozens of people were murdered by white mobs. Um, you know, you want to look at the Tulsa race massacre. Black Wall Street. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a cool Malcolm X quote. I want to, uh, want to say like in regards to that, just looking back to our history, our past, but the quote is a man or a rifle uh, or a man with a rifle or a club can only be stopped by a person who defends himself with a rifle or a club. That's equality. If the United States government doesn't want me to have rifles and take the rifles away from those races, if they don't want you and me to use clubs, take the clubs away from the races. If they don't want you and me to get violent, then stop the races from being violent. Don't teach us nonviolence, Malcolm X. Um, so I, I always like just like I quote him a lot, and I just you know like yeah. that. Those are fucking facts. Like don't fucking tell us not to be violent when the violence has already been inflicted on. It's kind of like slapping us in the face and asking why we're crying. It's like, bro, you slapped us in the fucking face. Like it might have been like you know, however so many years ago. But like I said, like you know, Joe Biden and Matilda would have been the same age. So um, I think it would have been like seventy nine or something like that. So it's just like. These wounds are still fresh. Yeah. And, you know, when you also consider the fact that sundown towns in 2020, still a thing. Um, yep. There's a whole directory. Yeah. Oh, there's a whole trend on TikTok of basically people talking about, hey, I'm from this state and this is a sundown town, like, type of thing. Really? Yeah. That's a, it's a whole trend on TikTok. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and that's another reason why I was harping on the independent racial bias out it because, like, I mean, I bet there's tons of sundown towns and even in South Carolina where it's like they have cops there who like are racist as fuck, but you never know unless you do an audit, unless you do like a you know a comprehensive search on it to you know figure out where the problems were and kind of race the problems if you have to fucking fire everybody fucking fire everybody's on that bullshit you know um, at least hold them accountable before some fuck shit happens and they shoot somebody who looks like me um but or you know abuses somebody or just like you know pulls over people randomly and that's what i feel like the audit at least does at least gives you a, a ground you know a point a to like all right this is where we're at and the recommendations point B and, you know, point C is, you know, actually following through with the recommendations. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the sundown towns, I just want to chime in with that. Like, I think definitely just, it shows you, you know, how it's, it's not that far, not that, not that long ago where we weren't allowed in these towns at all past a certain time. And I mean, just the criminalization of black folks or just being black, um, in general, um, doesn't go that far, not that far away from our present times. I think some of the work trying to get a racial bias audit in Charleston highlights a good example of kind of the, the double speak of Charleston as sort of a progressive city um, on its surface in some ways, at least. Uh, when Mayor Tecklenburg flipped out, um, a couple of years ago now, I'm, I'm going to totally lose track on exactly when that happened at this point, but, um, in the process when Charleston area justice ministry was pushing for a racial bias audit and got it to one particular city council meeting, the mayor went on like a 30 minute rant, um, talking about how dare they, 
and insisting that we just trust him, that he knows that there is no racism in Charleston Police Department. And, you know, really just lost his decorum that he usually maintains, even when he's taking reactionary positions. Um, but it was just really interesting to see that that, of all things, you know, a, just a request for an independent audit of something that's clearly a problem to anyone that's paying attention and he lost it like he really threw a temper tantrum and it was public i think yeah i think you can still find the video yeah check it out that's why i like cajun too i don't know if y'all know or know a lot of the cajun members but i fuck with them the long way like they they have been in this fight like doing good shit for such a long time so even though I'm not a Christian, like I ride them heavy. Like I know we they, we have our circles. They're like, my name is da da da. And I'm from this church, and that church, and like my name is Marcus. I'm the director, but as matter, that's it. I'm here to change the shit, cause some ruckus. But um, nah. So nah. Shout out to them because they're still they're still riding. I mean, I just had a meeting with them earlier today, like maybe like two hours ago. And they're always working, you know, trying to do the good fight. But it geeks me though, like try bring it back as far as like independent racial bias audit it's like okay if you're if your police department's not racist then it shouldn't be an issue you know what i mean so um and that's the big part too is like i and, I, and a lot and i know the state law enforcement committee is coming in on the 15th and this has been something i've been thinking about for a minute um as far as like you know something i've been preparing my speech for but just saying about how um like um, back in the Enron days, because obviously, like, I feel like reaching some of these old white folks in, like, in the regular way about just talking about black people sometimes, they shut it off. So I've been trying to, like, at least compare it to something they maybe understand because they, you know, obviously from their reaction to looting, they value property and money over fucking human lives. So I've been trying to explain it to them in, like, money, property ways. Like, when Enron did their fraud and, like, defrauded tons of people, the whole government changed how they did their governmental systems and they made it internal auditors to check, you know, your bank statements to whatnot. And you have to like report stuff. And it's like, even if you're a good business, you still have to report all this shit because, you know, you can't, the, the, the margin of error for bad businesses, they're like, we can't have any people get defrauded. And I say all that, say like the government knows how to do this shit and we could have then done it on the national level even, but they just don't give a fuck about you know, you know, black lives or don't give a fuck about just, you know, low-income people in lives in general because these people are the people who are supposed to be protecting us and the fact that only 23% of our state's uh, people have that, just like the, the, the state certification befuddles me. Um, but, yeah, I say I would say, um, yeah, just got to have this independent racial bias audit statewide. It's super important, um, especially Sundown Town, just have it all over the place just so people know like you know even if there's you say that there's no bad apples like we need to figure it out if there's an environment for it we need to eradicate that environment so yeah, yeah. and also just um north charleston because i specifically live in north charleston has been so resistant to a racial biased audit and i mean even more resistant than like charleston um like downtown Charleston police are and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah and the Sunny Cabal up here has a. I was gonna say if you, if you look at who's in charge, 
he's to me i mean no wonder that there's so much um resistance to it he's a bastard but yeah no i i had to talk with him i like we had me and quadro had a conversation with him like um maybe like i was like three months ago or not probably close to two months ago now but he had said something in um in the uh what did he say he said it was like in the uh, police evaluation council meeting i think somebody was from cajun was calling him out it was like y'all need to do this y'all need to do that mind you the cajun person was wilding a little bit i was like you're right but you're wild a little bit but she was like um or no he was like we've already started on the audit we've been on the audit like what else do you want to do and i, I like thought about it but i had I had already said my public comment, so I couldn't mention it. But so I like stored it back in my head. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell him what more he can do. Um, next time I talk to him. So we had that meeting, and I was like, all right, well, uh, Mr. Summoning or whatever his name is. I was like, uh, like you, you mentioned in this meeting, what more can you do? Here's what you can do. You can actually, you know, stay on point, like, you know, follow up the audit stuff and be like actually engaged, like accepting the audit is the first fucking step like actually going following through is what makes you you know a real man and make what makes you a good mayor like the fact you thought it was over when you said yes bro you're tripping so i had to call his ass out a little bit and i've been trying to you know i'm respectful but you know you got to call their ass out and they're bullshit because it's like that you have like politicians who are like yes men and they don't want to like step on toes or whatever but like i don't give a fuck like i'll like tell you like you're yeah. on some fuck shit. And I like say it in a respectful way and be tactful about it, but also be like, you know, like, you know, you can't, you can't just say like, that's it. Cause this is only the first step. Like you, you barely have crossed the first threshold, you know? So, yeah. Taking the fight. Yeah. To yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's wild, but I, I've been just trying to, you know, keep him on point, keep everybody just like, you know, like even council members, like, yeah, like I'm on your ass. Like, I will be watching you very closely. Um, And I think it's funny how upset the council people are getting because people are actually like telling them that I don't like what you're doing. Like the the politicians, and I guess this kind of goes back to what Taylor was saying too, of how like Tecklenburg lost his shit one time. Um, They almost like act as if, um, I guess that we are, um, being outrageous for trying to keep our po- politicians in check and trying to say, hey, I don't like what you're doing, like um, stuff like that. And I just think it's, um, it shows their true colors because they want to um, say, well, what more do you want from us? We started this audit, which I mean, you know, CCPD hasn't even followed through with it. They, they did the audit and they say they're like working on it and stuff like that. But then they create a substation in um, the Gadsden Green and stuff like that, which is, I mean, literally the complete opposite of what their audit would have recommended and stuff like that. So just because they're doing it, it's very, it's every, very performative and it's very, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. through um, whenever yeah. you, um, really even just barely look at it at surface level. Keith Sumi is just even more resistant to it, I guess, because... They definitely want it to just be... They definitely want it to just be performative and not substantive. Um, 
And I mean, I think like it's an interesting situation, um, especially downtown, but just like the tourism economy in general, the situation we're in where um, a lot of our economy is based on tourism, which a lot of which um, is at least deliberately, uh, you know, marketed to through like Charleston tourism boards and whatnot using kind of the lost cause narrative and image of this kind of old South um, Confederate city that started the civil war. And they want to be able to kind of market that to white tourists in a friendly way that doesn't make them uncomfortable and have to confront the present reality of a racist system that's, you know, destroying black lives in this community that they're coming here to kind of, have this detached, like fun, like Confederate Disneyland experience. And, and I mean, these like so-called progressive politicians like Mayor Tecklenburg are caught in an awkward position of having to feel like they need, they need like somewhat to like address some spin on the history that they can use um, for their tourism PR but they're so desperate to to get rid of any recognition in the public narrative of the present racism um, that it's almost like they're more afraid of recognition of the racism than you know losing kind of the power structures that it's actually upholding by being in place sometimes. Yeah, no, definitely. And to like chime in on that point, yeah, like I just saw this meme recently. It was so funny. It was like, um, it was like, uh, Democrats, I forgot how it was structured, but it was like Democrats, to, uh, Republicans or like, yeah, Democrats to Republicans, like we'll do anything for you. Like, uh, we'll, we'll like, you know, negotiate, we can figure things out. And then Democrats like leftists, it was like, you're going to have to accept what the fuck we want, or you're going to have to let your country fall to fascism. It was like, oh, no. they kind of, we kind of have this economy of choices. We have to choose, you know, what they like moderate liberalism or whatever. Um, and it just sucks. That's how it is. But um, I don't know. It, it, it's the what makes it worse is like they're actually like giving into the demands of white, like maybe might maybe not be clan white supremacists, but like people who have that mindset of white supremacy. Um, they're you know appeasing those demands versus our legitimate demands on you know on you know protecting the black community. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, pretty wild, but that's why we got hold. Yeah, we. It's important to keep the narrative going so that these businesses on King Street and hotels popping up brand new still can't just you know raise money on the history of um, systemic racism and deny their complicity in that current system. I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about, um, uh, Marcus, I'd, I'd like to ask you first and then uh, Taylor and, and Bailey, if you wanted to, uh, you know, add your own uh, observations, I'd appreciate that. So what are some lessons you took away from uh, the protests on last weekend? And were you able to forge new alliances or strengthen old ones? Um. Some lessons that I'll think about beforehand is um, 
and some of these will be out of control because they were protesters there. A lot of them are spontaneous, especially, you know, responding to the killing of Jacob Blake. Or not killing, excuse me, the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake. Um, but, so, you know, some things I learned just as far as, like, making sure there's, like, um, other, like, leaders who can, like, um, who, who are good, like, make being ahead of the group, like, maybe, like, there's, we have people further away, but, like, maybe having, like, a car to, like, you know, like, be somewhere in front of us, like, have a caravan, it's, like, different, different ways I think we could have di- done it to, like, make it, you know, more successful, um, and as far as, um, another lesson learned, as far as, like, the demands, like, getting those out to the media as soon as possible, because if you don't directly, like, yo, this is what it is, then, you know, sometimes they get misreported. And also having somebody on the scene um, who's in our, you know, direct group who can talk to the media, you know, while I, like, you know, leave everything um, is also really important. People know, like, what's going on, you know, our demands. Um, and as far as, like, relationships formed and built, um, definitely was able to rekindle a lot of relationships, like, United Front, um, Y'all were out, out there, obviously, so that was cool. Just a lot of people who I had seen, like, in protest, but, you know, I haven't seen in a minute. Like, even G was out there. Um, I didn't get a chance to let him talk. Like, G. Jordan, who was um, – he was arrested. Like, he was – he went viral for a minute by his, like, speech. was like, we are all family, and then they arrested him. But um, where's I going with that? So, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a lot of new relationships for him. I mean, I met a lot of – you know, younger folks who reached out to me and they're like, yeah, like everything you're saying was like, you know, inspirational. Like we want to help it in way we can. Um, you know, those are some of the relationships that I was glad that I formed. And um, just like, it was really good to have like other people come up and speak, you know, who I may not have seen in the minute, you know, cause of COVID and, you know, their restrictions. So it was good. Good just seeing everybody say it's a lot of new relationships formed, you know, also, we came with some some old ones, so it was, it was good on both of those sides. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll second that from kind of my perspective to a lesser extent, kind of coming in not as a leader of that action at all. Um, but I definitely um, met a few new folks. It's always interesting in this day and age of organizing seems like something like this always meet a few people I've been connected with on Facebook or something for a while and uh, this past Saturday was no exception so it's good to kind of meet in person with some folks that I've been interacting with for a while Um, but yeah um, I will say like I'm I I know everything didn't go as planned but I feel like you know uh, a lot of us I will say Marcus are looking at you as a great leader the way that you're kind of stepping up and taking on these actions and um, really impressed with the way that you're handling it all and um, happy to keep trying to get behind you. So thank you for everything that you do. You're welcome. It's my duty. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. Um, And I guess my thing that I want to say like lesson wise that I want to share is more or less for um, like, anyone who wants to be um, a supporter, like co-conspirator, anything like that. Um, Like we have to step up because like Marcus was doing everything, like everything 
on Saturday, you know, like he was leading us, he was trying to keep us as safe as possible that he could in, you know, the moment with everything going on and stuff, leading, trying to keep everybody up. And like, I just really want to encourage everyone else to like support him and stuff like that. And, um, and I, I know I just brought her up too, but Mika Gadsden made like a really good point that I didn't even think of. Like when we were in the, um, when we had been, you know, blocked in on the um, kind of kettled in or whatever and stuff like that, um, Marcus was up right there next to um, the police line with, um, you know, his megaphone and stuff like that talking. And like none of us were protecting him. And um, it's kind of what our, job is <laughs> while we're there um and so i i guess more than anything there's not really a lesson to be learned from marcus it's more for anyone who wants to support marcus and everything that him and blm are doing is you know he is trying to do his best um to keep us safe and to have a plan in place for everybody and you know if things hit the fan, having a plan for that and stuff like that. And so I think if anything, I would just encourage everyone else to just give the same respect to him as he gives to us trying to protect us while we're out there. Um, and so we have to give it in return to um, protect him and, and other leaders and stuff like that as well. Um, not just specifically Marcus, because there, I know there's other people in the organization, but I mean, that's kind of what we're there for. Um, Cause we know as me, you know, being white, um, things are not as bad for us if we are arrested. Um, so it, it's, it's really on us to make sure that we are protecting and that we are, um, you know, letting, the leaders, uh, Marcus and anyone else who may be leading a protest in the future or whatever, um, get what you know they want to say out there, um, and us be able to protect them from the variety of things that may happen nowadays in 2020 um, to them. So that's the only thing I really wanted to say is less of a lesson for people involved and more just the people who are following and stuff like that is I think um, Mika made a very good point that we need to do better. Of they're trying to protect us when we show up for them. So we need to protect them too. So. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need to get to the next stage from kind of just getting to turn out comrades and build on that to definitely we need to be a little more organized with what we can really do with concrete support actions. Yeah. But no doubt that's a great thing to kind of build out of this new relationship building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, the police have made it very clear that they're, they're growing in their response. And so I think it would be foolish of us not to as well. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like to, uh, Quote uh, the legend uh, Asada Shakur, it's our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. And we have nothing to lose but our chains. Um, so uh, I think that as the left continues to grow here in the heart of the Confederacy, um, I can think of no better mindset to just meet each other where we are and to love each other and support each other and uh, shake those chains off together. 100%. Absolutely. And mental chains too, because I feel like sometimes, like, I mean, I was definitely like, sometimes we get 
numb to it and not to give a quote to a quote, but um, Malcolm X also said in one of his speeches something about how they like, um, they try to give you like, they try to put Novocaine in you to like numb you when like the dentist comes in and that's what our government and just the media tries to do now. It's like they numb you to the violence and they numb you to the issues. So you hear a lot of issues and you know, a lot of times it's like flies over your head because you're numb to it. Um, but you can't allow them to numb to you and you got got to like, you know, be active and like feel that pain and be able to like actually go about that and like, you know, react when, you know, somebody's pulling out your tooth um, and not just be numb to it. So I will say that as like a, you know, build off of that. I think that's a, definitely a beautiful quote. Absolutely. Uh, what are some things uh, listeners of this podcast can do uh, to support uh, Charleston Black Lives Matter and uh, other uh, black activists in the neighborhood, like some of the folks we talked about earlier? Um, one of the big things is supporters financially. Being active is not the most financially lucrative thing. Um, just, you know, showing love as far as like, you know, we, we're starting another GoFundMe soon, but even like, you know, giving personal donations is helpful because we do this at the risk of our own face. Um, I mean, like I said, I got arrested recently. Um, so I'll have, you know, obviously adverse effects on me. Um, just like already as a black male, it's hard to get a job. It's actually, I think the statistic is it's about as easy as a white felon to get a job as like college educated um, black man. So it's just like, you know, stuff like that. Like we put our lives at risk, just like there's jobs that we're blackballed from that like, you know, have these type of beliefs like it, I, I actually caught one of my old bosses even in the comment section on some bullshit um so i like called him out but luckily he was my ex-boss so i didn't give a fuck but um <laughs> just like that's just the way you can support um just financially and you know helping out with opportunities don't like i wouldn't say like don't go about it it's like, let me save you let me help you but you know if they you know need support if like even if they don't see what you need support, you know, at least like you know, reach out and say they you appreciate them because a lot of times like you know, you know, it might seem like everybody's thanking them, like you know, it's a lot of times it's thankless job, you know. So um, just definitely just saying sometimes, yeah, like I fuck with you, I, I appreciate the work you do, um, and if you appreciate it, you know, just like throw a couple of bones, like you know, like I said, you know, I don't get paid to be a protester no matter what the the far right says and whatever. <laughs> Cause I remember one time where it's, it was Sunday. They're like, the only reason y'all are out here cause y'all get paid. And the, the thing that uh, the <laughs> game, uh, y'all getting paid, like what? Like you haven't gotten your source like, bucks yet. Like, I don't know. Oh man. I need to put you in touch with HR. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what's going on with that. I haven't received any payments. So I must've been stuck in the mail or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So as far as I support activists, though, like, like I said, just like read up on, on you know what they're doing. I mean, a lot of activists ha don't don't have the activism stuff. They have other trades. Like, I was an artist man, or I'm still um, an artist manager person. I have my own artist management company called Desk Entertainment. Um, so just supporting the other ventures as well is super important. Um, like, yeah, just you know, something important. I think just support activists. Is, just like, you know, financially and just like, you know, letting them know you fuck with them. Um, those are my main things. Um, and also just like actually showing up to like some stuff that you know, might not seem as 
is important. But, you know, when I, when I see, like, my supporters coming in those council meetings and, and it's only, like, three of us, but, you know, that one person that came, or, you know, it's three people that came, I, like, look at them, like, yeah, I fuck with y'all heavy because, like, y'all are here just in protest. Y'all are here, you know, when it comes to actual planning shit. Um, so that's always appreciative. So those are my things. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Marcus, do you have a cash app or a Venmo? People can send money to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, my cash app is dollar sign Adesso ENT, and that's spelled A D E S S O E N T. And then my Venmo is Marcus McDonald. Er, Marcus dash McDonald dash two. Marcus is spelled M A R C U S. McDonald's is spelled like the restaurant. And then dash two. So, yep, that's me. If you want to throw me some bones, like I said, Antifa is not paying me anything to do all this stuff. I'm just <laughs> doing it for the community. So, um, definitely support that. And also, something else, too. Like, if you don't support me directly, like, at least say, like, donate to, like, children's centers and like education stuff because you know no matter what i end up doing in life i think i'll be straight but there's a lot of kids who don't really have shit and they they don't you know it's a bleak it's a bleak life sometimes like you don't really see anybody in your family being successful um fun fact about me i won't get in too deep because i know it's running a little over but um i both of my parents are deaf so like they can't hear and they're like you know, as often with, like, disabled parents or disabled people, like, they don't get good jobs and, you know, just hard for them to kind of, like, push forward. So, um, yeah. just, like, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, if I was, like, anybody else, I mean, literally, if we, I didn't have the family support that, you know, both my side's family had, like, we could have easily been homeless, like, you know, like, because my mom would work at, like, menial jobs, like, Hardee's and, you know, like, whatever. So, it's, like, we could have easily had a lot rougher. But luckily, we had, like, a family support group. But, you know, that's not the case all the time. So, um, yeah, just support support the kids because um, there's a lot of situations, like, you know, the one I was raised in where, um, you know, it's it's hard to get out. And, you know, it might seem that, you know, everything's, you know, anybody can pull them up in the bootstraps. But, I mean, if you don't have any boots to begin with, you know, it's hard to pull yourself up, um, not to be all – um, poetic or whatever, but that's kind of how it is. Um, so, yeah, I just say definitely support your ed local education groups. I, I've already made at least some type of success where I feel like even, like, I'll be good, but, you know, some of these kids will not be good, you know, or they might need, you know, the extra assistance. So um, just support your local children and stuff. So that's definitely some advice I give as far as, you know, supporting activism goes. Yeah, thank you. Um uh, I didn't catch all of that. What was the Instagram uh, account for those donations? One more time. Um, it's our. Uh, you get, it's on our page on our most recent post. It's oh, okay. C H S underscore B L M. So so thank you for uh, Marcus for walking us through all that. That that's a lot of you know that's a lot of helpful resources because I think that's one of the most important things uh, that we got to do here in South Carolina and, and in the low country. Cause um, there's not a ton of us, you know, like we're doing this, you know, like you said, this thankless, you know, challenging work. And if we can share each other's bur burdens, even a little bit, um, you know, it just takes the work off of our shoulders individually. And uh, you know, here in DSA, you know, if, if you're not, uh, 
if you're not communicating, if you're not talking to people, if you're not socializing, you know, probably have some work to do on being a good socialist. <laughs> um, yeah. Man, I know that's something I still got to work on myself. Um, you know, capitalism is a, is a, the type of environment where isolation really takes root and, and kind of, you know, hitches a hold of, of, of your brain, you know, like, like one of those critters from aliens, one of those face huggers. Um, and it just gets its tendrils into you and, and that isolation, you know, you actively have to work against that. And one of the ways we can do that, I think is just by asking each other for help. Yeah. Uh, no, sure. I mean, it's, it's the community things. So, um, definitely reach out. Um, I mean, I, I, I say all that, say I agree with you. Um, definitely got to be social being in the socialist party and being like not only in your friend groups, but like being able to like, you know, confront your haters and be like, yeah, like you're, you might not, well, you're wrong, but uh, <laughs> like everybody is entitled to their opinion and here are the facts to prove that you're wrong. Cause I mean, no matter what they say, if you come at it with like, this is documented evidence. I know it's very popular in the far right when you believe in fake news and that's, that's a whole nother issue. I mean, Hitler did the same shit, but um, I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. <laughs> I, I just say, yeah, be socialist. Not only in your friend groups, because we, you know, exist in the echo chamber. I know me, definitely, if you're, if you're still following me, you're already, you're either down for the cause or you're just, I don't know, you're just like seeing what I do. But um, definitely sometimes getting outside the echo chamber and talking to new people who maybe, you know, fucking hate you, but you know, these, you know, they know that you're a real person. You're not some shadow figure and you, you know, you have your opinion. So um, I definitely agree with what you're saying as far as like, you know, being socialist and so being social as well. Um, definitely a good mix. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right, gang. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up this evening? Nope, that's it. I, I thank y'all for uh, letting me on this podcast. Um, definitely been talked about a whole bunch of things I didn't even think I had in my mind. So um, yeah. definitely thanks for just being having some good questions lined up. Um, always good to vent out sometimes and, you know, let share the thoughts with everybody, you know, bounce forth. I feel like both of us or all of us have, you know, really intellectual minds and we like to deep critical think and, um, I think that's always good for just like a really good conversation. Um, there's definitely a lot of times where I have conversations with people and it's, you know, not, not as intellectual and it's not, you know, they may, may not know the history as much as y'all, y'all do. So I appreciate all the intellect that's been, you know, shared and, um, definitely appreciate y'all for letting me come on. Well, I Thank got a so lot of for joining. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just saying thank you for joining. Um, you know, again, I think we're all kind of looking at you as kind of best leader we're looking at on this movement right now to try and get behind. So absolutely, like, let us know what we can do to help. Like, please keep us in mind for, you know, direct asks, whatever you need. Um, you know, we want to... We want to get out there, and I think the more that we can come to comrades with specific needs, um, the more we'll be able to kind of get some boots on the ground and keep building together and, you know, through direct action and 
political education, you know, thinking about the history, like you're saying, of kind of the the structure and rise of white supremacy or along with capitalism and how those systems pervade every bit of society today. Um, we as socialists do a lot of thinking about these kind of like theoretical power structures and all that and definitely any way we can help um, kind of turn people out organizing or help frame some of the issues in ways that help um, please let us know because um, I know a core group of us are all eager to um, kind of hear how we can best help um, so looking forward to working together Sounds good, brother. I'm looking forward to it, too. Yeah, and thanks so much for just, like, giving your time and, like, explaining things and, like, talking about things and stuff like that. Like, um, I think it's a, a great characteristic of a fabulous leader. Um, and I, as well, with um, Bones and Taylor, look forward to supporting you and your endeavors and anything that you need us to do. Sounds great. Yeah, just keep me up, up to date with anything y'all are doing as well. We're definitely looking to be, um, you know, have it both ways. If something y'all's working on that, you know, y'all want to tag team on, just let me know. Um, we have a pretty small team. I mean, a lot of these leftist organizations we do have tend to be, like, you know, not that big, especially, like, you know, in the middle of the Red Sea that we're in now. Um, in South Carolina, it's tough. So, um Definitely, like, y'all keep, you know, finding a good fight as well. Um, and I'll just be, you know, we'll, we'll stay in contact with some things moving forward as far as, like, some direct action and some policy stuff. So definitely excited about our future because we definitely got a lot of work to do. But um, it's good trouble and it's good. It's, it's, good. it's what our society needs. So I'm excited. Hell, yeah. Good All trouble. Um, I did want to also, um, you know, not, not to spook anybody, but we are still in, in the middle of hurricane season. So uh, I, I uh, you know, I always kind of think about what are things that uh, these different groups around town can do to help each other out. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we had this conversation tonight, Marcus. I'm, I'm very uh, grateful that you lent your voice and your time and your talent and your passion to this. And uh, yeah, looking forward to working uh, with you here real soon in the future. Sounds good. Well, yeah, y'all have my number, so feel free to reach out anytime. And um, like I said, uh, if, if anything comes up or if anything comes up on y'all, and just feel free to reach out to me and um, you tag team it. Yeah. All right, guys. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, Solidarity forever. forever. Solidarity forever. All right, guys. Yeah. Y'all have a good night uh, and uh, have a good weekend. I'll see you. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, y'all. Stand up, all victims of oppression, for the tyrants be your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions, for you have nothing if you have no
walls to divide us, walls of hatred nor walls of stone. Come greed the dawn and stand beside us, we'll live together or we'll die alone. In our world, poisoned by exploitation, those who have taken they must give and then the vanity of nations we make one earth on which to live. So the brothers and sisters for the struggle carries on the international unites the world in song. So Begins the final drama in the streets and in.